Hello, and welcome back to Real Seekers. I'm your host, Dale the Real Seeker. And today I have uh, another special treat for you guys. Uh, I have a special guest uh, who came to visit, uh, Robin Dykstra. Hey, Robin. Hey, how are you, Dale? I'm very well. Th- thanks for, for coming on the show and, and reaching out. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to, I, I usually, um, so, so basically, uh, I usually start by kind of letting the guest introduce us as to who they are and that sort of thing. But in your case, that's kind of what the topic is related to about. Um, maybe uh, we'll just start by getting straight into it and kind of um, asking you to tell us a little bit about your life and, and where you were coming from prior to your coming to Christ and growing up there. Uh, do you want to give us a, a little bit as to where you stood on that front uh, growing up as a kid and that sort of thing? Yeah, sure. It's a uh, it's a great story. I was raised by the nicest heathens you have ever met in your life. We <laughs> we were really great people. We were moral. We were responsible. We were rule followers. But also because we, my mom's super smart. My dad's a hard worker. Um, we had a nice house, enough money, no health calamities. We really didn't have any need for a God. And when we didn't, because we didn't have a need, we didn't seek, we didn't have any calamitous event to drive us to find uh, support, help, rescue, redemption from what we used to call a superior being we pretty much ruled our own lives. So, you know, sitting on our own thrones and ruling with our own little scepters wasn't really uh, a conversation. The only time I heard the name Jesus was if somebody in my family wanted to punctuate a sentence or um, use it as an expletive. We just, I just didn't have any filter at all for (laughs) <laughs> who God is, much less who his son is. All right, cool. Um, one thing, so I'm, I'm interested in that. So you kind of grew up totally in a secular secular context. You didn't really uh, interact with religious ideas or, or that sort of thing. No. Um, all right. No, I grew up in a really liberal community. And so it was all about intelligence and deep conversation and high moral values and doing the right thing. There really, there really wasn't any conversation. I didn't even know that there were churches in my town. I I had nobody invited me to a church. I just didn't, I didn't, they were ancient history. They were the things that you visited when you went to Europe or they were things that you learned about in history class. I just didn't know. I know that sounds crazy. How could you not know that there were churches? Because when I go back and visit the town that I grew up in, clearly they are there. But I just didn't have any any reason to visit them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's just not that exposure kind of thing. All right, all right. Well, yeah, that makes sense. I, I guess especially these days. Like I grow, I'm in Toronto, so yeah. Unless you're familiar with it, you can live your whole life and not be exposed to it, kind of thing. So, all right. right. All right, cool. Well, um, one of the, the main things about your life is that um, you were for, formerly um, uh, wrapped up as a Playboy bunny and that sort of thing. So do you want to kind of take us uh, beyond your childhood or teenager years and sure. explain to us sure. about your life up to that point? 
Yeah, my mom's a PhD. She has her degree in educational administration. And I did try college. I did. I just wasn't a good fit. And it wasn't that I wasn't smart enough to do the work. It was just that it 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 was overwhelming and I didn't know, I didn't have a direction. I think one of the things that God puts in our heart is a sense of purpose. And I had not discovered my sense of purpose or meaning. And so I went to college and I, I you know, managed it pretty well. But when I came home after that first year, I just wasn't interested in going back. And my mom said, well, you're going to have to get a job because if you're not going to school, then I am not paying for anything of yours anymore. And uh, I did get a job as a teller in a bank and that did not go well. Uh, they take that whole balancing thing so seriously. I just didn't have <laughs> the attention to detail to make their pennies line up every single day. So they fired me. And that's when I found the ad for Playboy Bunnies in the Sunday newspaper. They were The advertising was super simple. And it just said, Playboy Bunnies wanted no experience necessary. And Dale, this was a perfect fit for me because I didn't know how to do anything. I didn't know what I wanted to do in the future. And I was super cute. And I thought, well, this is going to capitalize on all my known assets and they can teach me how to do what I don't already know. I applied for the job and got it. Now, the deal was I was only going to stay for the summer, make a little money, you know, contemplate my future and then reluctantly go back to school to figure out what we could do with my life. But it turns out that I was really, really good at being walking pornography. And I was so good at it that they put me in the magazine a couple of times. They, uh, I went on recruiting trips to find other women to be bunnies. I trained, I was a bunny trainer. I worked in all, all levels of the resort. My, my club, there were dozens of Playboy clubs when I was a bunny. And mine was in Wisconsin on a 1,400-acre piece of property with two golf courses and a landing strip for private airplanes and five restaurants and a ski, ski, ski part, ski hill. (laughs) Wasn't really a mountain, but it was a ski hill and stables, the the whole works. And I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the work. And what I liked about being a bunny was that I had, um, I realized how much power I had just in my looks and my willingness to barter the way I looked and what I would do with my body for what I wanted. And there wasn't anything I couldn't get. So I did that for uh, four years and got involved with a man who was super dangerous. He didn't actually work for Playboy, but he was a townie. Uh, That's, you you know what that term is, a townie? Mm -hmm. Townie? No. What is is that actually? Yeah. Um, And he he and I got involved, we got married, and then my smart mouth ran into his short temper, and he 
he started to hit me and I thought, Ooh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to die if I stay here. So I ran and it was a really, it was a conundrum for me because he had, because I was operating on a system of values that was influenced by the culture. And that is, you know, you're, you're, you're just who you, you're no more valuable than how you look at Playboy. There are so many bunnies and so many girls who wanted to be bunnies that we understood right away that we weren't any more valuable than a new golf cart or a table (laughs) setting that uh, you were completely dispensable. And so when I, when he hit me, I, I thought, well, it's because I wasn't cute enough or I wasn't nice enough or I didn't do the right things. And I think as I talked to other abused women since that, we get brainwashed into thinking that it's our fault that they hit us. And finally, I, I just had this a moment where I thought this is just wrong. And I, I can't tolerate this anymore. I can't stay here anymore. And I was afraid. So I called my mom and I told her the mess that I'd gotten into. And she didn't chastise me. She didn't tell me, well, she, she didn't, she didn't condemn my decisions. She was so good at loving like Jesus, even though we didn't know Jesus, but letting me make my own decisions, giving me boundaries, but then letting me choose whether or not I would be obedient or rebellious. And then being there to love me, to provide a sanctuary for me to come home to in the event of a calamity or a bad situation. And that's exactly what happened when I told my brilliant mother that I was going to go be a Playboy bunny. She didn't, she didn't say, are you crazy? She just said, okay, give that a whirl. So when I called and told her that now I was involved with a man who was hitting me and I was scared for my life, she just said, baby, you come home. She actually said, Robin, run. (laughs) Two words, Robin, run. So I did. I went back home and I tried to put my life back together. Interestingly, when I got home, everything was normal again. And by that, I mean, um, people were speaking in full sentences. They read books. They, They wore clothes that were appropriate for settings and and, but when I got home, all this shame fell on me. Um, and, and you don't have to be an ex-Playboy bunny to have this kind of uh, a weight of a heaviness fall on you. And it feels a little oppressive because you've made choices that disagreed with, with God, even though you don't know who God is, there are principles that work, godly principles that work, even if you don't acknowledge this, the, the Lord. But I just felt like, gosh, how could you be so stupid? How did you let this happen to you? Why did you think this was a good idea? And it just, it just got heavier and heavier and heavier. And I didn't think I was ever going to come out of it. I did. I didn't know how to, how to, how to, press past it. There was no, there's nothing I could do to redeem myself. Okay. Yeah, cool. 
that's pretty oh sorry i didn't mean to interrupt no that's fine i um so the next step oh i i uh, i started dating because that always made me feel better and uh one of the boys that i dated men that i dated was a christian and he treated me so well. He, he wasn't like any of the other cavemen I had ever dated. He looked at my eyes when we talked. He paid attention to me. He considered my opinion. He was door opening, chivalrous. And when he introduced me to his Jesus, I was nervous but I, I could see how well his life worked and the strength that he drew from this nebulous faith that I, I assigned to it. And there was a part of me that wanted it, but there was a bigger reluctance to give up my independence. I know you uh, talk about the difference between, is it, what, did, what do you say, between um, like trusting God and knowing God is that is that how you say it or is was there another way that um, you talk about that believing God and trusting God believing yeah. in God and trusting God yeah yeah so for me he took me to a, a Christmas program and and that's when I had my first encounter with the Holy Spirit <laughs> I didn't know the Holy Spirit but while I was watching the little drama and listening to the choir in this beautiful church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, with the dressed stone and the red carpet and the stained glass windows and the heavy oak pews that are completely patinaed from a million people's hands hanging on for dear life, begging God for intervention. I started to quake, uh, tremble. There was this thing happening in my belly. My hands were shaking. My eyes were leaking. My heart was pounding. I did not know what it was. But when the, <clears throat> when the pastor guy or the, the, the MC, the, the supreme ruler over the program came forward and explained that there's a God in heaven who loves us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die on a cross, to pay the penalty for all of our sins. And if we say yes to him, those sins are now paid for. Jesus took my sins into the grave, kept them there for three days, and then when he came out of the grave, he didn't drag my sins back up with him to dangle them in front of me or shame me with them. His resurrection opened the door for me to be born again and have eternal life. <clears throat> and I didn't understand all of that. But what I heard during that program was I could be free of the past and have a fresh start. And I wouldn't burn in hell. I would not be eternally separated from God. And I said yes to that. So I was saved at that moment, but I was not surrendered to the Lord. I pretty much treated God like a bodyguard. 
you know, follow me around, keep me out of trouble, make sure that nothing dangerous or scary or nefarious is going to get me, but otherwise really just stay out of my life. I, I, I got this. So I wanted to maintain my independence and have all the benefits of eternity, eternal life. So all I did was move over on my throne just enough so that Jesus could sit next to me. I didn't want to, I, I, and I didn't know any better than to just take the first step. And God is so gracious. He said, okay, I'll take that first step and then we'll, we'll keep working on the next step and the next step. And don't you find that, that that's how he, it's a, it's a, it's a progression of next steps from, from the time you're born till the time you die, whether you acknowledge God or not, he is in the background putting people in your life, putting circumstances together so that you say yes the first time and then a gazillion times after that as he leads you to become more like his son. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's what the sanctification process is all about, right? Like God, yeah. once you're justified, that's not the end of the road. That's not the end of right. the journey. So yeah, yeah, no, I hear you fully in terms of what you're saying. Um, awesome. Yeah. Okay, so... Oh, that was great. You covered three questions in that one. Answer. <laughs> that, that's awesome. Um, I have I have some follow up follow up questions. Um, sure. Some reactions. So, so going back to like your life prior to Christianity, a, a couple things just for clarification for for the audience. And I'll, I'll admit that I was ignorant myself. I didn't know there's like a distinct. What exactly is a Playboy bunny versus other like Playboy playmate? I think it's called or, or other stuff. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Playboy bunnies are actually glorified waitresses that work in a resort or a Playboy club. They might do cocktails. They, um, they might play backgammon. They're, sometimes they take pictures. They play golf. We do tennis and golf and basketball for fundraisers. So really, we are just the face of Playboy in an accessible way. And so what Playboy bunnies do is create a longing for something that cannot be satisfied right there because Playboy bunnies had lots and lots of roles. We couldn't be, we couldn't date customers. We couldn't be in the hotel rooms at all. We couldn't, it wasn't like we were, um, we, we were not prostitutes, but what we did is create a longing for something that couldn't be satisfied right then so that instead you would um, sell them liquor or expensive dinners or tickets to shows. There was a showroom in our, in our club and, and that would sort of fill in the gap. Now a playmate, someone who's in the magazine, she might be a girl who has nothing to do with being a bunny but she is just a beauty that is photographed for the magazine. Sometimes bunnies are in the magazine as a feature. Every year they did best bunnies of whatever year it was, or they might be um, in advertising. When you sign on to Playboy, you sign a um, a, a disclosure that says they can use your image in any way they want for any reason that they want. 
So if they caught a particularly good picture of you doing a bunny dip in one of the restaurants and the lighting was good and the customer you were waiting on was friendly looking, they might use that as an advertisement for either a Playboy Club or a Playboy Resort. Gotcha. Awesome. Does that help? It does. Yes. Thank you very much. Um, I, I don't want you to think that we were, as a Playboy bunny, that we um, were pris- were prissy. We weren't. There was a whole subculture of drugs and dangerous people and um, dating. And like I said, outside the walls of the Playboy Club, and we had we had liberty to do. We had liberty to use our looks and our status um, to to secure any kind of thing that we wanted. There were lots of parties and opportunities to capitalize on the both the job and your looks. So I don't want you to think that, yeah, I just want to be real clear. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah, and, that, and that's why I wanted to ask as well like for, for the audience, just so they know exactly. Um, all right, cool. And you, you kind of addressed this question, but I would, so again, prior to you being a Christian, um, you mentioned that once you kind of left your husband, then all of a sudden the shame came on you. You, you yeah. felt more and more guilty. Yeah. Before that, though, during the time, this time, did you feel that anything was wrong at all? Or, um, yeah, like, or huh. was it all cool? Yeah, what I can, if I had to say something about that now, I don't know that I thought it was wrong. I don't know where the guilt came from, just that I didn't get what I want. And looking back, I can tell you that I was trying to feel, I was trying to feel as good on the inside as I looked on the outside. Mm. You know, it just, it didn't matter what I did, the dating, the drugs, the alcohol, the shopping, the manipulation of men, it did not matter. I could not, you would have these momentary reprieves from this. I just, there's something more. There just has to be something more. And I thought at the time it was this lack of mission, this lack of purpose, this lack of declaration. What are you going to do with your life? Who are you going to be? How are you going to, you know, change the, change the world or at least your little corner of it? Are you going to be a teacher or a scientist or I didn't have, uh, I didn't have that vision. And so I thought that's what was missing, but what was missing was the Lord. Awesome. Awesome. Well, and a purpose. <laughs> yeah, what was missing was the Lord. Awesome. All right, cool. Um, and I was happy as well with your your answer. You kind of described, okay, looking at how you became a Christian, how did uh, the Lord enter your life? And you kind of explained the first step of how the Holy Spirit yeah. on you. One thing I wanted to ask you about that is um, I'm interested in your take. Do you, do you think that the Holy Spirit kind of reveals the truth to people in, in different ways? Is it kind of like a one-size it's all in your view or do you think like your experience is normal or you know you know what I'm asking yeah yeah Yeah, I think God is infinitely creative you do not have to look very far to see how infinitely creative he is if you just look out your window on any given day you will see all manner of birds and bugs and trees and leaves and um, man-made structures that God inspired so I think that the Holy Spirit leads each of us, affects each of us in 
in ways that are just for us. And broad strokes, sure, there are, you know, there are broad strokes. God will, let's see, what are some of the ways that God could speak to you through the Holy Spirit? You know, you might, you might read your Bible and you've read a passage a thousand times. Okay, 10 times. You've read a passage 10 times. I don't even want to exaggerate here. And then the 11th time you read it, there's something that just makes you pause. And it feels like a piece of text is highlighted. And it, it almost comes to life and it speaks right into your heart. Just that one moment. And you've read it before and you'll read it again. But this one time, it's exactly what you need to read. And then I can give you an example if you want. Yeah, sure. So I am a storyteller and sometimes my storytelling will get away from me and I will exaggerate um, just enough so that people think, did that really happen or not? And um, so it's not so outrageous that it's ridiculous, obvious, mm -hmm. but it was just enough to enhance the story. So I'm reading my Bible. I'm in Psalm 34 and kaboom, there's a passage in there about lying lips and how the Lord hates lying lips. And I am so convicted about this that, that it just breaks my heart and I am crying and confessing and asking for forgiveness and receiving forgiveness because the Lord was so sweet that he didn't want this to become a habit. He didn't want, he, he knows that as his representative right now, I got to keep it so clean. Everything has to be spot on, no exaggeration, no, no question that what I tell you is the truth. Because if any part of anything that I say, either um, at a retreat or a conference when I'm speaking at a at, uh, live or in something like this, if there's any piece of what I say, any word that I say that is not true, it corrupts everything that I say, which corrupts how people might see Jesus. So like, blah, just kaboom, just one little thing like that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Has that ever happened to you? Uh, yeah, it has a few times with certain yeah. verses, like, uh, yeah, like, uh, you know, first, first Peter 3.15, for example, yeah. that speaks to me in terms of apologetics. And that was something I wanted to ask you. Um, I'm, I'm sort of curious, like, do, are you um, familiar with, like, Christian apologetics arguments? So, like, for example, my friend Gary Habermas has his minimal facts approach to the resurrection. So I'm just sort of curious, do, does that play any role in your ministry and, and or your relationship with Christ? Or? It does more personally, but when I, when I lead Bible studies, when I write Bible studies, when I teach or speak at a retreat or conference, I am really trying to, I really focus on that woman who's stuck, who, who needs to take her next step. Because what I find, so the answer is yes and no. I am not one of those Bible teachers that quotes Greek and does a lot of um, in-depth Bible teaching chapter and verse. What I do is I invite women into my story so that they see their story so that they say yes to Jesus. Because I feel like one of two women is sitting in my audience almost all the time. One 
is the girl who's made a big fat mess. And she believes that it's too late, that God doesn't want her anymore, that she's made such a big mistake or so many bad choices that it's just done. And she might be sitting in that audience because somebody invited her or because she wants her kid in the nursery, but she really doesn't believe that Jesus still would be interested in her. So I, I, I want, I want her to know it's never too late for a fresh start with Jesus. Never. And then the other woman who's sitting in my audience is the one who, who would never say she's coasting, but she is the woman in the audience who, who life is pretty good. Um, she's got all the things that she needs to make life work. And so she's settled into this gradual um, descent of complacency and she's calling it contentment. She, she doesn't, she doesn't, she doesn't need God because there's no calamity much like I was as a non-believer, but I want to, I want to prompt her to say, what else does God have for me? Is this the abundant life that Jesus promised? Or am I letting all the good things in my life keep me from the great things that God has for me? I guess there's three women in my audience because the third one is the one who's been very good, faithful to the Lord, faithful to her family, faithful to her community. And then something dreadful happens. Uh, in my book, The Widow Wore Pink, I write about my transformation story from Playboy Bunny to Bible teacher and Jesus follower. But I also write about the fact that decades after I say yes to Jesus, I am a Bible teaching church lady and my husband died of a heart attack at 39 years old. And I, I just lost it, you know, but the Lord was so faithful and he was with me and we got through it. I got married again. And then that husband died in a plane crash. So I buried two husbands in four years. And what I, what I hear from other women is that I want them to hear that God is faithful. Even when the earth feels like it's moving under your feet, even when the the, the, the earth feels like it's trembling, that God is still on the throne and that he is faithful, even when it feels like he has lost track of you. That following Jesus may not feel safe, but it is secure. I mean, if you look at the Bible, Paul, there's probably no other person in the Bible other than Jesus who was in the center of God's will right? Jesus comes to him on the road to Damascus, gives him his new calling. He knows all the Bible from being trained as a Pharisee. And now Jesus intersects his life. And there's no question that Paul is on a mission to proclaim the name of Jesus near and far. And yet there are shipwrecks and floggings and imprisonments and, and people who discredit him. And yet he's in the center of God's will. So he is secure in his mission 
his message and his ministry, but he's not, probably doesn't feel all that safe operating in the world. And so I want women in my audience to know that even though it doesn't feel like God is paying attention to them or sees them, that he is, that he is faithful, that he is fine. Like um, second Corinthians, first, second Corinthians 10, 13, um, no temptation or trial will, will seize you except which is common to man. And, and God, who is faithful, will always provide a way for you to um, rise up under it, to, to bear through it, or to get around it. So while we are waiting for God to find our way through a hard time, we need to know that he is, that he is with us and that he is orchestrating this, this pathway through a hard time. So it's important, um, it's important for me, for people to see that God is still very much for them, with them, and trustworthy. Um, yeah. 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 That's a long answer to a short question. Sorry. No, no, not at all. No, I, I think that that was good. Like, I, I think that you're right, right? Like, there's different methodologies and we're all on the same team and God can yeah. use kind of thing. So I, I like that you kind of, you, your approach is the story-based approach, right? And Yeah. Well, think about it. There's the old Testament, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a new Testament. Yeah. And what do people see now? They see the you Testament. So yeah. your life, mm -hmm. my life, everybody who follows Jesus, they are the you Testament that people see and decide whether or not, Jesus looks good enough to say yes to. So our, our, our role really is to know our Bible, right? But also to declare the good things that the Lord has done. Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. And, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a time when you need to lay out the whole Romans road or the entire gospel of Jesus Christ. But what I find is you build relationships and then you keep, you keep tilling this soil of the relationships with the, isn't God so good events and moments in your life so that people continue to see him as good and loving and kind and generous and creative as the king, as the husband, as the warrior on your behalf, not against you. Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Um, all right, cool. So the, the next question, you've, you've kind of hinted at this as well, right? But I wanted to bring it back to those, those Bible-based stories kind of thing. And you've given some, some examples already, but just uh, I'm curious, like, are there any particular Bible examples or biblical examples that are relevant either for you in your life or for your ministry, uh, addressing those three types of, of women in your audience? Yeah, I always like the ones, uh, yes, the answer is yes. And, and when... Um, when Craig, my pilot husband, died in a plane crash, I had a lot of questions. When bad things happen, don't you say, why did this happen to me? Why now? Why? Why? Yeah. And, and uh, the Lord, when I was saying, I hate this, I hate this, I, I don't know that I said why, because I, I, I realized I, I don't really care why. I just want my husband back or what was lost found or what was broken fixed that 
that's my, that's my why, but the Lord was so gentle and just like a, a thought that traipsed across the backyard of my brain. This is often how the Holy Spirit speaks to me is that this thing will just occur to me. It feels like a word is just traipsing across the backyard of my brain or a picture or somebody's name or, you know, a song lyric. And what I heard when I said, this isn't fair. No one should have to bury two husbands in four years. This is not right. Again, I wanted safe, but I had secure. And the Lord said to me, Robin, you can trust me. Not in an audible voice, but that just, it's just a resounding, this is, this is the thought that just goes into my mind and it just won't let me go. And every time I, every time I, I question, it's just, Robin, you can touch me or Robin, you can trust me. And, and as I look past the past in my past, I see so many places where God has saved my life, redeemed my decisions, led me down a way that brought me life instead of destruction. And then I look in the Bible. So the answer to your question is, Stories in the Bible where God asks his people to do something that seems unusual, foolish, yeah. crazy. And some of the, the best ones, like Abraham <laughs> in oh. the Old Testament, just pick your stuff up, start walking, and I'll let you know when you get there. You know, that would take a lot of trust. Or I'm going to bless you and your descendants will be as multiple as the sands of the sea. And yet no baby, no babies. Or Joshua, the mantle is passed from Moses to Joshua. They cross the Jordan River uh, during flood stage on dry sea. They are, they have done their time. The 40 years in the wilderness are over. We, we built the pillars. We take the 12 rocks from the bottom of the riverbed and we make this altar and we are going into the promised land. And the first obstacle is the city of Jericho. Now, if I were Joshua, I would just imagine that God would I don't know, knock the walls down with the raging waters of the Jordan River or that he would throw fire from heaven and we would plunder and it would be magnificent. But he doesn't do that. He tells his people to march around the city 13 times and then give a big shout. And then the walls of the Jericho would come tumbling down. Now, I don't know about you, Dale, but I don't know if I'd make it all 13 laps. I don't know, would you, would you bail at six or 10 or even 12? It takes a huge amount of trust to, to obey God's calling, commissioning instruction. And so when, I, when I'm in a funk or, or you know, not in a season that I love, and I say, God, I really hate this, but I do trust you because you have always been faithful. You've been faithful in the Old Testament. You've been faithful in the New Testament. And I believe that you will be, you will be faithful to me. And I am, I'm just going to do what you tell me to do. 
and I'm going to do it as soon as you tell me to do it in, in the hopes that my soon lines up with God's soon, because that's not always the case, but I am just going to do the next thing he tells me to do. And in the absence of a new, of a new directive from the Lord, you just keep doing the last thing he told you to do. When Craig died in the plane crash, I, I just was in a, in a cannot, what do I do? And so I just did the last thing he told me to do. And the last thing he told me to do was raise my kids, teach the Bible and keep going to work. So that's what I did. I just kept raising my kids and teaching the Bible and going to work. And I was in a Bible study with a bunch of other motorcyclists because Craig came with an airplane, a motorcycle and a passport. And he told me it was crazy to own a vehicle you didn't know how to operate. So I got a pilot's license and I got my motorcycle endorsements and, and we had joined this Bible study for motorcyclists. And there was a, a guy there that ended up being um, my, my Mr. Forever. And I might've missed it if I'd decided not to do, not to follow God's path, not to trust him and just keep doing the next thing that he asked me to do. So, yeah, yeah, I love that answer. And especially the examples that you gave. So like that central message of trusting in God and that, that distinguishing, um, you brought up the Abraham example. That's some, I don't know if I'll, I'll briefly mention it, but I, you're the guest. So I'll concentrate on your views mostly, but like that Abraham example is something for me because um, the Holy Spirit kind of worked in my life and, and gave me a prompt is what I would call it. That I think that's yeah. what you're describing to follow his example. And I, I went on like this atheist show dogma debates with David Smalley defending um, Abraham's willingness and his faith in God to the point where he would sacrifice his own kid. And, you know, obviously that that's something that was hard to do, but um, you know, it, it shows that ex that example really helped me to, well, I'm going to have the faith of Abraham and what, regardless what happens, I'm going to follow it. And so. Right. Yeah. Right. That's such a good word. Thank you for telling me that. Oh, no problem. Yeah. Happy to, happy to help. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. So, so yeah, I think, I think, um, again, you, you've been, um, throwing in bits like the, the next kind of questions kind of relate to your personal life and you've been throwing in, uh, anecdotes about your husbands and stuff like that. So I guess with the next question, I'll just kind of ask you, is there anything else about your personal, personal life and how God has kind of worked through that to bring about your redemption and that sort of stuff that, you think is important for the audience to know? Yeah, I, I think it's really important to remember that God doesn't work the way his ways are not our ways and his, his thoughts are not our thoughts. And sometimes he'll ask you to do something that just doesn't really seem logical to you. But if, if you, if you genuinely, you know, test this, if God asks you to do something, trust him with something um, and it and it doesn't cause you to sin and it lines up with his character as you know it from the Old and the New Testament. Maybe you even run it by another godly person that you know. I, I guess just just do it. Just trust him with it, knowing that he has your good in mind. Yeah, yep. I couldn't have said it better myself. So, all right. Awesome. Um Okay, well, one thing that I think is really important, so given, given the fact that you've kind of explained your past, 
and you've explained how you've come to Christ. I know one of the things you like to talk about is how, how are you received given your past? Did you find that other Christians in the church are, you know, willing to embrace you? Are they, are they, Hey, you can be a, a leader kind of thing, or did they kind of shun you or look at you differently? Like how did Christians react in that case? Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised, even though I went in with a lot of barriers. When I, when um, my Christian husband, Jay, and I started going to church, I remember filling out a visitor card. I was so excited because I was so lonely. We had just moved to this new city and I didn't know anybody. And here this, here this golden ticket was in front of me to connect me with other people with like interests and and my husband put his hand on that visitor card and he said, Robin, honey, don't tell anybody that you've ever been divorced and never, ever say that you were a Playboy bunny. And it just broke my heart. And I said, are you ashamed of me? And he said, no, but Christians are just like other people and they won't understand. And they may judge you. They may not let you join here or participate here. So I kept the secrets. I started a Bi- I started going to Bible study because you know everybody needs to be in a discipleship plan. I didn't know that's what it was called, but in order to um, in order to fulfill the Great Commission, you need to be following the guy who knows a little bit more than you and dragging along somebody behind you that doesn't know quite as much. So I was in this Bible study and I was in about a year maybe. And one of the questions prompted me just to blurt out that, yeah, I'm divorced, but I'm remarried now. And I'm so glad that I don't live in danger of my life being threatened every day. And there was no, I mean, it was so quiet. It was like somebody dropped a big bomb in the room. And I, I looked around and I saw them just staring at me and my face started to turn red. And I realized that I had just exited myself, I, that I had, I had let this thing out and now I was going to get kicked out and it would be awful. And I'd have to go home and tell my husband that I, you know, that this was bad. And after what seemed like forever, this woman across the table from me said, my husband is having an affair and I am pretty sure we're headed for divorce. Thank you for letting me see that there might be something good ahead for me too. And I realized at that moment that it's the enemy that wants us to keep all our secrets because when we share the good things that God has done in our lives, it not only reminds us, fortifies our faith, this is what God is capable of. This is what he's done in the past for me, for Abraham, for Joshua, for, you know, for all but it also emboldens other people's faith, makes them believe that they can make it. And it glorifies God as you say, oh, I serve this awesome God and he saved me, redeemed me, healed me, rescued me, influenced me, led me. 
But when the enemy can get us to shut up and shut down for fear of being judged, and yes, I have been judged. I've had people tell me that I had no right to be on the platform with my past, but you know what? I just, I just pray that the Lord gets a hold of them so that they can experience the extravagant forgiveness that I have and they can be free, (laughs) but not to let the fear of man keep me from doing the thing and proclaiming the goodness and faithfulness of who he is. I, you know, I, I, I say I used to be on the opposing team, the enemy's team, very active, very active, um, perpetuating sin. And now I am on God's team and I can't let the enemy score a point on my watch. I I am going to proclaim God's goodness, to remember for myself what he's done, to embolden other people to believe what's possible, what was possible for me is possible for them. I think the the is the Hebrew word for um, testimony is aduth, aduth, A-U-A-Y-D-O-O-T-H. And it means do it again. So when we tell our stories about the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God and the power of God, it provides the atmosphere for him to do it again. Because what he did for me, why wouldn't he do it for you? So I'm not going to live. I, 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 I'm a people pleaser. I, I, I want people to like me. I don't like it when people tell me that I'm full of canary water and that I don't belong here and that I'm disinvited, but I'm going to go where God is celebrated so that I can continue to declare who he is to others. Yeah. That, yeah. When you were, when you were telling that, cause I was watching some of your videos where you, you mentioned some of that, like uh, some, how some Christians reacted it. For the life of me, I, I honestly don't understand that. Like for in the first place, these were these are sins that happened before you were even a Christian. So like right. as Paul says, who are we to judge? But just are, are you forgetting Paul? I mean, he was a murderer, he was killing and persecuting Christians, and God put him on the he was an apostle. So it, it, yeah, it's it's just a kind of like missing the point. Um, it is. It is. And if you if you really reckon with it, I mean on the on the ground rules level, if Jesus died for your sins, we're all guilty of murder. You put him on the cross. I put him on the cross. We all put him on the cross. So we're all guilty of murder. Anything that I did less than that, you know, it, it just, it, they all come. And the thing is that um, the other big issue that I, I wonder what run into from time to time is that women will hear me on a platform and then read my book and be horrified that I continued to make mistakes and missteps even after I said yes to Jesus, even after I, um, I, I became a church girl. They, they're so offended. And I think, oh, I can't, I can't live that perfect life. If, if you're going to judge me for being imperfect, then the Lord's going to have to deal with you because I still will occasionally speed in my car. I mean, I see the speed limit sign and I am late and I might just push it 
a little bit. And that's a sin, you know, that's, I'm, I'm not following the authority, the rules of authority. I might occasionally take a pen from the hotel or, you know, ex- fall into the trap of wanting to be liked at somebody else's expense and, and just gossip a little bit. And the Lord will convict me of that. So I don't need somebody else to remind me. The Lord's pretty good at keeping my slate clean, but we're all works in progress. And so I want, I want to create the space too for women to feel like they don't have to be perfect, that, that the Lord loves them right where they are as they are, but he loves you too much to leave you without any hope. And that's why one of the things I talk about a lot is how to receive God's forgiveness and forgive yourself because that's such a thing for women they can they can forgive the most outrageous atrocity but they have so much trouble forgiving themselves and that's that's a really powerful message yeah 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 no i think i think that's well said right like we we're all works in progress i mean paul himself calls it struggling with the flesh and yeah you know we all we all continue to sin my i have sins myself like hate, hating my enemies is kind of my yeah i really need to work on that so yeah and, that's a good that's a really good example uh, yeah but it, at the end of the day repentance it's a turning of our attitudes i i don't we're trying our best to live consistently with god and we're yeah we may fall short from time to time but we're trying that's what really matters through the help right. of the so, all right cool oh sorry Oh, cool. Uh, all right. So, okay. So I'm, I'm trying to wonder, going back to kind of like your, your personal life again, you, you've given us, you've already gone into this kind of thing, but I want to ask, obviously you've, you, you lost two husbands within the space of four years and, and you've been through so much. So do you have any advice, like how, how for people that are experiencing tra- tragedy as Christians and that sort of thing, um, how are we to go about handling that? Um, is there any way to prepare for, for losing a spouse? And yeah. also, why the heck did you wear pink uh, <laughs> or black to, to your husband's uh, funerals there? Yeah, okay. Well, the thing to do to prepare is to build that relationship with God the Father by receiving Jesus Christ so that the Holy Spirit can lead and guide and comfort you when when bad things happen to develop the relationship with the triune god is the best preparation you can do and the next thing you can do is live in community with his peeps when bad things happen and bad things happen to everybody <clears throat> you want to have an army the body of christ so that uh, they can fall in and rally around uh, to mitigate some of the pain and the circumstances that happen. I know that when my husband's, when Jay died, heart attack guy, he, the Holy Spirit just fell on me. All this peace, the peace that surpasses understanding fell on me, but it was like the Lord knew that wasn't even going to be enough. So he he mobilized these, this army of women who came with chicken salad and circus tickets for my kids. And they prayed for me. They, they closed the gap between heaven and earth for me for a year. Um, in the Lord's prayer, it, it says, I can't do it with it. Just 
um, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what they did is close the gap between heaven and earth for me. So be in relationship with the Lord and be in relationship with his people. Those are the two biggest things to prepare. And then what was your, what was the other question? Uh, so I think, uh, yeah. So like how, how do you deal with it after the fact and like how are, um, also the funny one, like why on earth did you wear pink? Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 And, and then, um, I think we already talked about how to deal with it in the aftermath is just, you know, you can stomp your foot. I, there's a lot of days that I was like, I hate this, but I trust you. I hate this, but I trust you hands open. What's next. I'm just going to keep doing what you told me to do last until you tell me something new and just believe that the God who is faithful in your past and in the Bible will be faithful in your present and in your future. And then why did I wear pink? When the pilot died, I knew what was coming. I knew that I was going to stand in a mint green funeral parlor with hundreds of people lining up asking me how could this awful thing happen that I would be patting people on the back and comforting them because they didn't understand why this thing could happen and they didn't know what to say and in their grief and dis-ease they looked to me to give them hope and comfort, which often happens for widows, that they end up being the ones who say, I'm going to be fine. The Lord is in control. Don't worry. You're going to be fine. Things happen for a reason. God is with us. He might give us more than we think we can handle, but that's okay because he can handle everything and we will lean on him in this time. So I knew what was coming. I knew the loneliness that was coming. I knew the struggles of being a single parent that were coming. I knew the financial stress that was coming without that income. I knew it all and I couldn't face it in a black dress. So wearing a pink dress to the pilot's funeral set the tone for people's conversations for me. They didn't see me as the weeping, weak, dispirited, um, brutalized, punished person because we assign all these things in some form or another to things that we don't understand. It sets a tone for conversations and I was able to feel brighter and um, lighter in a pink dress than I was in a black dress. Awesome. Yeah, I think that so that's very thoughtful and I, I find it very interesting about, um, you know, like the way people react and they kind of they lean on 
the the spouse, uh, the the widow or the widower um, kind of thing. So that so that's an interesting way of taking it by using that dress. You're kind of reminding them. First of all, you're giving them something to comment on right away, so the opposite right. is gone. Uh, but then also, it's a reminder that hey, we're, yeah. we're leaning on Jesus, we're leaning on God, and yeah. stuff like that. All right, cool. Um, yeah. All right, well, well, let me flip the focus then. Rather than advising the widow or widower directly, what about what about those other people? What what can they do? Uh, what advice can you give them in terms of supporting a widow uh, or a widower? Oh, that's such a good question. It's such an uncomfortable situation. When somebody dies that you don't think was supposed to go in your in your book, this is not this is out of order. This does not. This guy is too young or too vibrant or too useful to the kingdom. Why would this happen? And people are pretty good right at the right out of the gate. They come to the funeral. They come to the to the party afterwards, the reception or the whatever. Um, but then the widow is kind of left on her own. So. The best thing that you can do is look for her and smile at her and ask her uh, about her guy. Ask her how she's doing. Um, tell her that you're going to pray for her. Specifically, if you knew her guy or had an experience of her guy, tell her that story. She needs to be reminded that other people miss him too. And yes, he brought great value and it's a tragedy that he's gone. Um, mark your calendar for three months, six months, nine months, and 12 months out. And just send her a note saying, I'm still praying for you, or I'm thinking about you today, or just wanted you to know that even though we don't see each other very often, you're still on my mind and I'm still thinking about you. Um, ask her if she needs help with stuff. If, you, if a woman has kids, man, suddenly you got to be in two places at once and do all the stuff and maybe take your kids for a play date or give her a gift card to McDonald's or Chuck E. Cheese or whatever the happening place is for kids appropriate for her age. Ask her if, um, like, this is going to sound really stereotypical, but it was just my experience. I didn't, I didn't know what engines did. So there was a guy who came over to my house and he he gave me a list of things to check in my car, when to change my oil, when to, um, what lights did what, where to go to get my oil changed, how to check my tire pressure or where to have those checked, at what point I would need to have a tune up. Um, and I, I had no idea about that. And then another guy came over and he just walked around my house and he said, okay, you need to, you need to have your, your, your roof checked for this and you need to have the chimney it wasn't swept but some kind of cleaning and then I mean just there's maintenance things when you're married you kind of divide and conquer and I didn't know what was on my guy's list so it was really helpful when somebody else came over and at least educated me on what I needed to do we live on a on a on, our yard has some big trees in it and when the leaves fell the first fall. Four or five uh, couples came over and brought chili and raked all my leaves. And then we had lunch together. Not just gift. Um, so another thing is um, not just 
giving people gift cards, but inviting her into your house. The first year, uh, one family invited me over for Thanksgiving, just me and the kids, just so I wouldn't have to feed three of us a turkey dinner or just wonder where what everybody else was doing at that time. And so um, just inviting them in, just uh, not, not, it's uncomfortable for you, just press through it, just ask her how she's doing, ask her to tell you about her man and invite her into the things that you're doing. All right, cool. Um, all right, so I wanna bring this kind of full circle now because um, okay. it was interesting. You were mentioning in your, in your prior life, you, you, what was missing for you was what is this, what is my ultimate purpose and that sort of yeah. thing. I yeah. want to ask you, okay, great. Now you, you told us about your coming to faith in Christ. You've got your ministry. Um, do you feel that you've gotten an answer as to what your purpose is in life and, um, you know, share, share what you think that is. And, uh, oh, and also with that, an additional question, I've noticed that a lot of what you said, like your ministry is aimed at women. And yeah. that thing. do you think that uh, men can benefit from, from your ministry in any way as well? So yeah, take it away. Okay. Uh, yeah, I do feel like that hole in my heart was filled. There's a lot of ways to say it, but I think there's something in us that longs to be maybe not ruled. That might be too strong word for me. It was ruled guided. There, there's something in us that desires to have an entity in our lives that's bigger, stronger, smarter than us to lead us. And when I finally surrendered to Jesus, it was so comforting to know that I could depend on him, that he loved me so much, he would never lead me astray, that he would never hurt me on purpose, that he wasn't going to allow anything in my life that would destroy me. Just to, to, to have that bigger than myself, God, as part of my everyday life was joyous, just comforting, huge relief. It's not all on me now. All I have to do is the next thing that God tells me to do and do it right away. Oh, shoot. So, um, sorry. I don't know if that's going to behave or not. Uh, no, yeah, it's just your picture. Yep. Um, oh, there you are. Yeah. And then the, so the purpose I had was just being being his, uh, learning about him, and then spilling what I learned about him on others, my husband, my kids. And then uh, as I learned more about him, I had more opportunities to tell about him so that when the kids launched, I'm not one of those women, I'm not a 10 talent gal, I can do one or two things really well at a time, but, and I'm okay with that. So the two things that I can do really well right now that my kids are gone is be uh, uh, a really devoted follower of Jesus, love my husband, and teach other women about him. And I love that. I, I, you, you could wake me up at two in the morning and say, could you go talk to this group of ladies about Jesus? And I'm like, yes, 
yes, yes, I can. Yes, I'm in. Um, so anytime I get to speak at a live audience, that just, that just thrills me to tell them about what God has done in my life and what's possible for them. Um, I usually start with my story, but I've got lots of other topics that we can talk about. And then do men, when there are men in the room, um, it's, it, it's fine. I find that the dynamics change a little bit. There is less freedom for me to be real honest because I want to be real careful not to plant images in guys' heads about who I used to be as I explain the transformation. So I do a lot of Sunday services. More and more women will have me come and do a women's conference or retreat and then speak to the congregation on Sundays. And I just have learned uh, how to address an audience that's mixed and really enjoy it now. So yes, I think that the same principles of the Bible that work for women apply to men as well. Gotcha. All right. Awesome. Um, all right. So the the last uh, question here, um, obviously the, the reason you, your, uh, or Sharon, uh, your agent kind of reached out to me is you've got a new book um, and we haven't, we haven't mentioned that at all yet. So yeah, I want to give you an opportunity now to kind of yeah. speak about your, your book. Why, why did you yeah. write this? Why was it important to, to write a book in your ministry here? Well, every time I told my story, somebody would come up to me and say, oh, I wish my fill in the blank, sister, coworker, boss, mother had been here to hear this. She would have really benefited. Do you have a book? And after the longest time, I decided, well, maybe I should write it. The, the book is called The Widow Wore Pink, and it tells the story of transformation from Playboy Bunny to Bible teacher and of God's faithfulness to me when I was widowed twice in four years. And what I did was thread the entire gospel of Jesus Christ through the pages. So it's actually an evangelical tool as well as an excellent read. Awesome. Awesome. All right, cool. Well, that does it um, for that. I, I think um, what I'll do at this point, I'll, I'll give you a, a last word if you want to like plug any websites or blog sites. For okay. people. But uh, yeah, take it away and then I'll, I'll end the show. Yeah. Well, if you had, if you, well, uh, thank you for letting me be on. I really enjoyed our time with you. I know that um, women like stories and I write a Bible story or a devotional story every week on my blog. So if you would like more stories about how God is interacting with me and how he might interact with you, go to robindykstra.com backslash blog and you'll get a free devotional every week in your email inbox awesome awesome yeah so i have enjoyed the conversation on my end i just want to say thank you very much for coming on and sharing your story and that sort of thing and your testimony as to how god is using you in your ministry and how you came to christ so yeah thank you awesome yeah, all right I, I really appreciate you too dale i appreciate the work that you're doing and um how how the Lord has put on your heart to know him, know his word and be an, um, not just an evangelist, but an apologist. Is that the word Ap apologist? 
that you know that you know what you know and that you can defend him and his word in a way that other people cannot without aggression but invitationally this is what it says how can you argue with it this is what it says how can you argue with it so i really appreciate the work that you're doing too so I, I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, I, I really do try my best to be a, a real seeker, hence, hence the name. Yes, so, yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that, that means a lot. I'm, I'm always glad when a, when a guest is happy with, with what we've done. So, yeah, right. you're doing a great job of making Jesus famous, dude. That's that's the goal. Yeah, it's about him kind of thing. So, yeah. all right. Exactly. Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Awesome. All right, cool. So just for the audience, before we go, uh, next week, I'm going to be doing the Theo Geeks podcast with David Russell. Uh, we're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount and addressing some of the issues on that. But uh, other than that, have a great week, everybody, and take care.